Acts chapter 20, verses 17 through to 38. From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, You know how I have lived the whole time. I was with you. From the first day I came into the province of Asia. I served the Lord with great humility and with tears, although I was severely tested by the plots of the Jews. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything and would be helpful for you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God and repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me, if only I may finish the race and complete the task that Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about breaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of all men. For I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave you, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from our own number of men will rise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years I have never stopped warning you, each of you, night and day with tears. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than receive. When he had said this, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them the most was his statement that they would never see his face again. They then accompanied him to the ship. Well, good morning. It is great to be with you over the live stream this morning. And what a moving passage that was just read. I'm going to pray for us that our hearts and our minds might be captured by these things this morning. Uh, so let me, let me begin in prayer for us. Our Father, we pray that you might capture us afresh this morning by these truths, by your church, by the glory that it is that you are gathering a people to yourself, that we might see more clearly the Lord Jesus and the, the great cost that you have given so that we can gather together I pray that we might be stirred by eternal things. And we ask this in your son's name. 
Amen. Well, I wonder what comes to your mind when you think of the word church. For me, I have very fond memories of growing up in this church, but at Berkeley Vale High School. I wonder if you can remember, if you were with us, back to the days of Berkeley High. You would come into church, and before anyone would give you a bulletin, you'd be greeted by the smell of the pigs at Berkeley Ag Farm. Do you remember these things? And you'd come in, and you'd sit down on your plastic chair in the row, and sometimes you'd reach for your Bible, and there would be a little bit of chewing gum (laughs) as you'd go down and try and find it. But it was fantastic wasn't it? And you'd you'd hear a sermon and we'd sing and you might grab an Arnott's biscuit and an instant coffee for morning tea. What a delicious morning tea. And and then you'd talk to people and you'd go home. Or maybe you've joined us more recently. I wonder what your memory is of church. What, What comes to your mind? What is this thing that we do called church? What is it? As we gather, it can feel so ordinary, can't it? On the weeks when you come and you sit and you listen and you go home. And it feels like just another week. But this morning, God's word should challenge us in that thought in our mind. That this is not ordinary. This is an extraordinary reality, the church. It is what God is doing in our world. And as we begin this mini-series, the two weeks looking at the preciousness of the church, we're going to begin this morning by thinking about how precious it is to God because of the death of the Lord Jesus. And to do that, we're particularly going to unpack that a particular phrase in that passage. We're going to be spending a bit of time in Acts chapter 20. Let me give you a little bit of context. Paul is addressing the Ephesian elders the leaders of the church in Ephesus. And he's, been, he's spent about three years with them at this point. And have a look down at verse 28. Halfway through that verse, Paul says to the Ephesian elders, be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. That's quite a powerful verse. And As we go through this passage and as we think about church, I want to suggest three questions that we're going to answer this morning. First is, what is the church? Kind of a good place to start when we're thinking about the church. What is it? Second point, what's the value of the church? And third, what are the priorities of the church? That's where we're heading. What is the church? What's its value? And then what are its priorities? But first, what is the church? Even in that verse, we, we, we read the church of God. But I just want to take a step back. I wonder if you've ever thought about what the word church actually means. It's one of these jargon words that we use as Christians, isn't it? The, we, we might say, I'll meet you at church, meaning the building. You might think of religious symbols. Well, what is this thing that we call church? See, the word church in the English Bible that we have translates a Greek word, ekklesia. Ecclesia. And that word just means gathering. The word that is translated here, church, means gathering. The church literally means the gathering. It is a gathering or an assembly 
the gathering, you could say, of God. But what is this gathering, this church? Well, before we come back to Acts 20, I want to spend a little bit of time thinking about the church, the gathering of God. See, in Matthew 16, the turning point in Matthew's gospel, Jesus asks his disciples, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Messiah. And Jesus' words, he he makes an extraordinary promise in Matthew 16, verse 18. He says this, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Even death will not overcome the church. The church is the gathering that the Lord Jesus is building. It is his promise and he is doing it. That is a promise that Jesus will keep. He is building his church. And as you read the book of Acts, you see it happen. As Jesus dies and he rises from the dead and he ascends to the right hand of the Father, he commissions his apostles to go and preach the word about him. And as that happens, people hear and repent and believe and come to be added to their number, to the gathering of God's people. And as they reflect more deeply on the truth of the word, they grow in maturity. They they grow in number and in maturity through the preaching of the word. Jesus is building his church. He's been doing it for 2,000 years. This is the great project that our God is doing in our world. He is building a people for himself. A gathering for himself. And that's actually where history is headed. Have a look in your Bibles at Revelation chapter 7. The Apostle John sees a vision of the new creation. And verse 9, he says this, I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. It's an extraordinary picture. A beautiful picture of where this building project of God is headed. That is the completed building project of the church, the gathering, the multitude of God's people around the throne of the Lamb, singing His praises. That is where you and I are headed. For eternity, Jesus is building his church. And notice that the church Jesus promised he would build is much bigger than a particular place or time. It is all people everywhere who put their trust in the Lord Jesus as their king and their saviour. Which means you and I are part of something massive. We're part of God's gathering spiritually in the heavenly realms. Ephesians says that in Christ, we are gathered with all those everywhere who call on the name of the Lord. This spiritual reality, the gathering, a church of God for himself that he is building. So that Paul can call the church in Ephesus, the church of God. Because as local churches meet, they reflect something really important. As as local churches meet, they are gathering physically in space and time and they reflect that wonderful spiritual reality of a gathered people for God. 
So Paul says in verse 28 of Acts 20 to the Ephesian elders, keep watch over the church of God because this is the people of God that is in Ephesus. The church local is precious because it is a physical gathering of those who are God's people in that place. It's a wonderful thing. And it reflects that extraordinary reality spiritually. And the same thing's true of the lakes. The lakes church is a gathering of God's people in this place and time in Tugra. It is God's church. It doesn't belong to the pastoral staff here. It belongs to God because it's a gathering of God's people. And so as God's people gather something extraordinary happens as we gather physically that we reflect spiritually what is already true. That we are gathered around the throne of the Lamb in the heavenly realms with all those who call on the name of the Lord. But here's the thing. We are living in a peculiar time in history, aren't we, where we are not gathered. For the last couple of months, we haven't been gathered together. What do you do with that? Now, I want to say a massive thank you to the live stream. Uh, even this morning, I submitted the wrong PowerPoint slides, and they did a beautiful job at fixing that. They work so hard here so that we can actually hear God speak to us through his word, hear teaching, hear songs. But this is not church because we aren't gathered together. The church is the gathering of God's people. And so as we can't gather, this is not church that we're doing. I think it is the best we can do, given the health advice. And it is a wonderful gift, but it is not church. Now, I hope that makes sense of the grief that you're feeling watching the live stream online. It is a wonderful gift, but you just feel like it's not church. Because it's not. It's not the gathering of God's people. We, we rightly grieve now because we have been deprived of what the Lord Jesus died to, to bring us to, to gather together. See, for all the ordinariness of church, as you come and as you gather, there is something extraordinary happening. This is the great thing our God is doing in our world. And there will come a time in the next few months, next few weeks, when we will be able to gather again. Given the health advice, the the pastoral staff here will make some decisions. And at some point, we will gather together. And there may be a number of us who, for some good health reasons, etc., won't be able to gather for a time. But I want all of us to think about this question. How precious is it that you gather with God's people? How important is it to you? Because it's precious to God. We're going to see in a moment that God shed the blood of his son so that we might gather together. Is it precious for you to gather with God's people each week? So you and I are part of something massive. Part of what our God is doing in our world. He is building his church Jesus says, I will build my church and he will do it. 
That's the church. It is the gathering of God's people spiritually and physically as we gather together of the Lord Jesus. What's its value? We'll have a look back at Acts 20, verse 28. That same verse, Paul says, Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. That's a truly, did that blow your mind, that verse? Which he bought with his own blood. God bought the church with his own blood. This is a breathtaking truth. It is the heart of Christianity that Jesus himself, God, became a man. God's son came into our world. Why? To live amongst us and to suffer and die on the cross. That Jesus, the son of God, shed blood. Why? Why would Jesus come into our world to die? Acts 20 says, to buy us, to purchase a people for himself, which is probably quite strange language for us to hear. But it wouldn't have been strange to the Ephesians. See, this is the language of redemption. If you'd gone into Ephesus in, in the time when Paul was speaking, you could go to the slave market and you could purchase for a sum of money a slave or you could free them by a sum of money. It's called manumission. You, you, you purchase a slave, you buy them, and that means you've redeemed them out of slavery. Which I think raises the question for us, why did we need to be purchased? What did we need to be redeemed from? Which points us to the reality behind the cross in our hearts is that each of us, you and I, have turned our backs on God. We've ignored the God of the universe. We've rejected him. It's what the Bible calls sin. That all of us have turned our backs on God. And that's a big deal. We, we've, we've kind of spat in the face of the God of the universe. And Romans 6, verse 23 says this. The wages of sin is death. See, what that means is that our sin has consequences. That we've turned our backs on God means we deserve death and God's judgment. It is a terrifying thing. Ephesians 2 puts it like this. You were dead in your sins. Spiritually dead. That is where we were outside of Christ. Dead, trapped, stuck in sin, enslaved to it. But here's the wonderful news of the Bible. And here's the wonderful news of Acts 20, 28, is that God, in the person of his son, bled and died for us. And what, God was, what, what, what the Lord Jesus was doing on the cross is as he hung on the cross, he took that penalty, the wages of sin, death and judgment in our place. In your place, if you trust in him. 
so that it is paid. He, he took our sin on himself. He died the death that we deserved. And as he did that, Paul says he redeemed us. He purchased us out of slavery to be God's people. Isn't that wonderful news? That if you trust in the Lord Jesus, you are forgiven. And the price for your sin has been paid on the cross with the blood of the Lord Jesus. Which means you belong to God and you have been freed from a life of slavery to sin. And I want to say, if you're listening to this this morning and you haven't yet put your trust in Jesus, do it this morning. Don't put these things off. This is real. The Son of God shed his blood for you that you might be redeemed to be God's people. I wonder if uh, there's a picture on the screen. I wonder if you know what this picture is. It's a famous painting in Australia. It's called Blue Poles. And I don't know if you could pick that name as you look at it, but there you go. They're meant to be blue poles in it. I love this painting. It's a massive painting. And it was purchased in 1973 by the Australian government for $1.3 million. (laughs) That's a lot of money. $1.3 million. Big painting though. So, you know, you get a lot for your money. $1.3 million. Now, the insurance estimates at the moment, how they work that out is if someone were to buy this painting, how much would they pay? The estimate at the moment, as of kind of last year, is $350 million. That's one expensive artwork. (laughs) My question is, Why is it worth that much money? Why is it worth 1.3 million? Now, I could could look at it with you and and, and talk about the art and the contrast. and I mean, just the sheer size of it and the amount of paint that the artist would have had to put on it, it's got to be worth a couple hundred bucks. (laughs) And canvas is not cheap, and it's a big canvas, so maybe, maybe we go up to $400. And I could do something a little bit like that, maybe not quite as good. Why is it worth $1.3 million? Why would the insurance company advertise it as $350 million? You can talk about the contrast, the artistic value. I think there's an easier, better way to determine its value. Why was it worth $1.3 million? Because someone was prepared to pay $1.3 million for it. That's why it's worth that much money. Because the Australian government paid $1.3 million for it. It's actually not a bad way to work out the value of something. is how much someone is prepared to pay for it. Now, how much is the church worth? Well, how much was someone prepared to pay for the church? We actually get a figure or an answer, if you like, in Acts 20.28. How much is the church worth? God paid the price of the death of the Son of God. His blood. That is how much the church is worth. It is of incalculable value to God. It is so precious that the Lord Jesus shed his blood for it. Now, I wonder if, like me, you struggle sometimes with feelings of self-worth. 
feeling like you're insignificant, like you don't have value, like no one cares, no one loves you. We all have those feelings at times. Maybe you're at the moment feeling low, feeling depressed and feeling like low self-worth. Brothers and sisters, if you are a follower of Jesus, you are worth more than you could ever imagine. You are worth the death of the Son of God for you. And together, this church is precious to God. It is worth the death of the Lord Jesus. That is the price paid to buy you, which means we belong to God and you are never insignificant, no matter how you feel. Because God loves you and you are worth more to him than you could ever imagine. We are a people that God is gathering to himself through the death of the Lord Jesus, redeemed from sin for God. The church is blood-bought. What are the priorities, though? It's our last point of the church. Well, the first, uh, I've just wanted to touch on two from the passage. There's more, but we'll, we'll, we'll just tackle two. The first is, the church is committed to the word of God. Have a look at verse 20. Just look at how committed Paul is to the word of God. He did not hesitate to preach anything that could be helpful. He taught publicly. He taught probably in the synagogues and in the town squares. He taught house to house, privately, Bible studies, small groups with people. Bible, Bible. But Paul preached. Verse 27, I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole counsel of God. Paul was utterly committed to the preached word of God. And it makes sense. Our God has spoken to us in this book, the Bible. We have his words. You know, Paul spent three years with the church in Ephesus. How did he spend his time? Preaching and teaching the word of God. And he tells us why it's so essential in verse 32. As he's wrapping up his speech to the Ephesian elders, he says this. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. He says, I commit you to God and to the word of his grace. The scriptures which can build you up and give you an inheritance among the saints. See, as we read the Bible, as we hear it taught, God, by his spirit, builds us up. This is how God matures followers of the Lord Jesus. As we read, engage with, pray, and learn the Bible. We are to be Bible people. Uh, about a month ago, I had, I think, what was the best Bible study of the year, or my favourite, anyway, <laughs> with, with OCS, our, 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 the Christian group on campus. I remember in, in an exec meeting, I was meeting with the student leaders and with, with Deb, uh, a colleague of mine who works one day a week with me, and we were, we were trying to plan how to teach people how to read the Bible. That was, that was the job of, of the Bible study. And we were kind of tossing around a few things, how to read a text, etc. And 
Deb came up with this beautiful suggestion. She said, why don't we just read it? (laughs) I mean, that's what we do each week. But she said, why don't we just talk about it being God's word and then put people in breakout rooms and just read it? And that's what we did. We gathered together online and I said, this is God's word. It's precious. It's all we need. And then we broke off into breakout rooms, you know, groups of two, and we read the Bible. And it was a humbling experience and a wonderful experience because I think it was the best Bible study we did. And we had so much feedback about how impactful it was for people. See, we overcomplicate things sometimes, don't we? We try and come up with all these programs, and they're good. But the Bible is what we need to read because God says he will mature us as we engage deeply with his word. A friend of mine in... In Sydney, I met a number of years ago. We read the Bible together. I remember as I met with him, he told me his story about how he'd become a Christian. He's from mainland China. And he'd never heard about Jesus or Christianity before. And one night, he was staying over at his stepdad's place. And he was sleeping in the study and he couldn't get to sleep. And he was looking on the, on the bookshelf of, of his stepdad's study, and there was a Bible in, in Mandarin. And he picked it up, and he started with Genesis and started reading. And he got converted <laughs> in the study. And by the time I met him, he'd finished the Bible, and he knew and was convinced that Jesus was his Lord. And he just didn't know how to kind of fit it all together, but he was a Christian. Because God's word, by, as God works through his spirit, has the power to save and mature. We don't need anything else. That's why as we preach, we preach the word. Because this is who we are as a church. We should be shaped by these things. There's actually a lot at stake, Paul says. Have a look at verse 29. Paul says, I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning you each night and day with tears. Paul is gripped by this sense that there will be people who will come who will twist the truth. And in doing so, people will walk away from the Lord Jesus. And he's speaking here to the the leaders of the church, but I think there's application here for us, all of us. Be discerning as you read the Bible. As someone preaches, have your Bible open. Check it, because the truth really matters. And so we're to be people shaped by the word. Second, we're on mission for the Lord Jesus. Have a look at verse 22. Here's a picture of someone who is captured by these truths. Paul says this, And now compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. He had a hard road, didn't he, the Apostle Paul? However, he says, verse 24, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race 
and complete the tasks the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. See, if the things we've heard this morning are true, that we have been redeemed from death, judgment, hell, these are eternal things, these are real If that's true, our world is in a state of utter helplessness. The Central Coast, hundreds of thousands of people are heading for an eternity without the Lord Jesus. These are real things. Heaven and hell are real. Eternity is real and our life is very, very short. And you see, Paul is captured by these things. I wonder if you've seen this show. I actually don't want you to watch this show if if you haven't seen it. (laughs) I'm not recommending it, particularly if you're younger. It's called The Walking Dead. And I think the title gives gives you enough, actually. And so you don't need to watch it. It's about zombies, The Walking Dead. title gives you enough. But I actually kind of like this show. And as I've watched it, part of why I liked it is because there's something gripping about the image of a zombie, I think the walking, living dead. And as I watched it, I just couldn't shake this. Like, there's so many ridiculous things about the show. But I just couldn't shake that it's probably the best image I've ever come across about the spiritual state of our world. That God says in Ephesians 2 that without Christ, people are the living dead, spiritually. And we need to be shaped by these things. See, we look at our culture and it looks normal and people look healthy and happy and God loves them. He does. And, and we, we, we can have good, wonderful relationships with people. But there is a desperate need. God says that without Christ, they are dead in their sins spiritually. They are the living, walking dead. And I take it, we think things are going well because we don't have the spiritual eyes to see. And if we did, I think it would terrify us and drive us to our knees. It did for Paul that our world, our neighbours, our friends and family who do not know Christ are heading for eternity without Jesus. There is a great urgency to the time we live. Our life is short. And every time someone dies without Christ, they are lost. See, Paul understood the urgency of these things. Verse 24, he says, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race. To complete the tasks the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. My life is worth nothing to me. How can Paul speak like this? Well, it's because he's persuaded of these things. He's gripped by eternal realities. And so he gives his whole life to it. Now, The task of testifying to the good news of Jesus is so urgent that it meant for Paul he would give his whole life. He's in a particular situation as the apostle to the Gentiles. But all of us need to think deeply, how will these truths shape us? This last week, as I've been looking 
at this passage, I, I just had this moment at my desk as I was reading Acts 20 where I just felt like oh, I'm not, I'm just so easily distracted. I, I cannot say with Paul, my life is nothing to me. Because I take it so often, I think very highly of what I would like to do. <laughs> and it's kind of important to me. Because I'm not captured by these things. And I was just painfully aware of how far short I fall of these words. And I've been praying the last few days a particular prayer that God would give me eyes to see the spiritual state of our world, that I would see with his eyes what's going on and that he would shape my heart so that like Paul, I could say my life is worth nothing to me, but it is all for Jesus. That I might be captured more and more by Christ, by what he has done. I wonder if you could pray that with me this week. Because I think God answers that prayer as we look more and more with his eyes at these things. And as we seek to live for Jesus, we have a massive task, brothers and sisters, of a world and the central coast. Let's just start there. That's where we are. That needs the Lord Jesus. And so be on mission for him. Well, what have we seen? we have seen that the church is the gathering that God is gathering to himself. It is an extraordinary reality. As we gather physically together, something truly special is happening. We are declaring to the world what is spiritually true, that God is gathering a people to himself. And as we gather, we are a group of God's people who he has redeemed, who he has shed the blood of his son for. The church is deeply precious to God. You, as his church, are precious to him. But as a church, we have priorities. Given all of these things, we we are to be shaped by God's word, to be people of the Bible, to teach it, to read it, and to be on mission for the Lord Jesus. I'm going to pray now that that might be true of us. Will you pray with me? Our Father, the Lord Jesus said, I will build my church. It is an extraordinary reality that you are doing in our world. Father, thank you that even death and the gates of Hades, the place of the dead, cannot, cannot stop this wonderful project as you gather a people for yourself. Help us to be captured now and this morning and into the week by the preciousness of this gathering that we might see the worth that it is to you that the blood of your own son was spilt so that we might gather together. And Lord, capture us by your word, shape us by it. And we pray that we might be on mission for the Lord Jesus, given the urgency of these things. Lord, please bring many, many more into this church and others around the country, around the world, as you build your church. We pray all of this in the name of the Lord Jesus, whose blood was shed so that we might gather. Amen.